You could say that Luke 2 is a lot like Mount Baker. I was thinking about that as I drove in today. Some of you, maybe raise your hand, if you've grown up in Whatcom County. This has been your home your whole life. Okay. Now, who hasn't? Everyone else, right? Okay, yeah, that's me. Ten years ago, when I moved to this place, I was convinced that it was heaven on earth. It is stunningly beautiful. On a day like today, did you, did you see this morning? Did you see that? It was epic. The sunrise coming over that snow-capped mountain. And here's the thing that happens. Uh, you can see it, and it'll take your breath away. And then you can see it again, and it'll take your breath away. And then again, and then you're like, man, I've seen that before. And after, I don't know, 30 years of living in this county, you might not even notice that mountain. I, don't, I hope that's not the case. Good. I, I talked to a few people. Here's what kills me is when someone has an epic view and they let their trees grow up in front of that view. I'm just like, please hire me and let me cut those trees down for you. You're missing worship. Here's the challenge we have with Luke 2. That glorious mountain has been in view many times. We've seen it before. We're here every year, aren't we? As we come into the Advent season, as we come to Christmas time, this is the Christmas story. And so the challenge that we have today is to enter in and let your eyes lock in and see the splendor, see the majesty. There's glory in these verses. Don't have the been there, done that shirt on today, okay? There is so much to see in this chapter, and it is glorious. And so that's where we're at today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20 this week. 1 through 20. Oh, holy night. It's Christmas in October. Christmas in October. And, uh, you know, this is good for us. It, it helps us to see the text and not just the tradition. Uh, because the text is what makes the tradition meaningful. So let's pray that the Lord would give us fresh eyes to see His glory today. Lord, we do love when we behold your glory. This morning just caused my heart to leap for joy at the display of your mountain, uh, your snow and your paintbrush all around this city as the fall colors are in full display. And then your sun, the focus of it all that lights the dark, rising in the east, bringing just unbearable light and glory and splendor. It's just so, so bright that we couldn't even see it. It reminds, of, uh, it reminds us of your son, Jesus, radiant in splendor, glory, lighting the dark, coming one day in the eastern sky. We see you and we love what we see. And Lord, as we consider your gift at Christmas time and, and this Christmas story, I pray that today we would see light and we'd be delighted by the glory of your son, Jesus. Help us to uh, see these verses in a fresh and new way. And I pray that you would impact us, Lord, and change us and encourage us. Point us to your son, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to begin in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. And uh, I just titled these verses, uh, Caesar's Census, which is a tongue twister, 
Caesar's census, say that six times, and God's sovereignty. This is a fascinating display of God's incredible decree through the decree of the most powerful man on earth at the time. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was a house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. All right, let's dig into these verses a little bit and unpack. Again, the, the goal here is to be moved from Whatcom County into the context of these verses, to transport back from 2018 all the way to the year that these things took place. Caesar Augustus, otherwise known as Gaius Octavius, he took on the name Caesar, which is another name for king, and uh, Augustus was a title that was bestowed upon him, and uh, it was a title of divinity. He saw himself to be divine, a god, to be worshipped. People spoke of this man as the savior of the world, a man. Now, he was impressive, yes, but he was not that. He was responsible for ushering in one of the most long-lasting, peaceful times in the Roman Empire, the Pax Romana. Uh, in fact, all of the known world bent their knee to this man, including Israel, which was under his uh, firm-fisted rule. And so he ruled and he reigned, and he said, it's time that we register the world, the known world. Now, why would a man like this want to take a census and register people? Any guesses? Taxes, money, that's exactly what you do. It's, it's the same in our day. Why else would you? You want to know who everybody is so you know where to send the bill for taxation purposes. He wanted to tax, and trust me, he taxed. He, this was some steep tax that was leveraged to, to empower this global domination that Rome had achieved so successfully. Why did he do this now? That, that is the answer that Caesar would give if we asked Caesar. But there's another answer that the even higher sovereign would give. There's something else at work here. The one who shapes the hearts of, of kings like, like streams of water. This is the Almighty, the Sovereign One, who decreed from of old this prophecy. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2, this is what it says. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, uh, which is another name for Bethlehem, so they used both here, you're, you're too little to be among the clans of Judah. You're insignificant, a tiny little city. However, from you, Bethlehem, shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel. Now, some say, well, that's a reference to King David. Here's the problem. This was given hundreds of years after King David had already reigned. That's not King David. This is anticipating one who would be ruler in Israel. And then this is the one that seals the deal. Whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient i.e. eternal days. Wow, what a prophecy. 
there will be one born in Bethlehem who has lived in eternity past. Woo! That narrows the field considerably. The birth of Jesus Christ was to take place in Bethlehem. This was the prophecy. Here's the problem. That's not where Mary and Joseph live. And it is nearly time for Mary to give birth to the Messiah, this very one whose coming forth is from eternal days or ancient days. And if she gives birth to him in Nazareth, it is going to fail this prophecy and everything falls apart. It can't happen. It's a fascinating thing to consider prophecy. I was musing last night with my wife about this. How does it work? And here's my best guess at how this happens. Obviously, God is not constrained by time, yet what he does is he writes the story, and then he brings it to pass. Okay, so this prophecy was written many, many years before. And in order for this prophecy to take place, history had to be written according to the decree of God in view in the prophecy. So don't think the prophets are simply looking at an event and saying, oh, look at that. That'll happen there in this way. That can happen. God can reveal that, like a glimpse into what is going to happen as if they're looking at history uh, before it takes place. I believe it's more precise. Uh, in, in fact, in Jesus' ministry, it says, he did this to fulfill that which was spoken by the prophets. You see what he's doing? He's making history meet the words of the prophet. He's bringing it to pass as he wrote it beforehand. Amazing thing. So, how do you move a couple who's going to give birth to the Messiah from Nazareth to Bethlehem? Well, as the Almighty chooses, he says, I will stir the heart of the most powerful man on earth to take a census, to register people at a, the exact time so that they are required to make a journey, a very uncomfortable, difficult, challenging journey, and the birth of Jesus will take place in not a ho-hum way. Oh yeah, they live there. Of course, that's where he was born. But an amazing way. At just the right time, they showed up. So, Joseph and Mary, they're living in Nazareth. And uh, this is the journey that they would have had to undertake. You have to move them all the way from Nazareth, way up here, down the road and up through Jericho into Jerusalem and then to Bethlehem, which is the same journey that Mary took when she first found out she was going to have the Messiah. Uh, near, right down near in that area, the hill country of Judea is where she stayed with Elizabeth and the, the quiet one, her husband, so this is a familiar journey. They would have made this journey many times, faithfully tra uh, traveling to Jerusalem to observe the Passover and all of the significant feasts, right? Uh, now, the reason it is so important that the Messiah be born in Bethlehem is that is the prophecy, and it, he is to be born in the, in the house and lineage of David. This goes back to the Davidic covenant, to put a king in the line of David, who would rule forever and reign forever. That is the uh, unending reign of a Davidic king. Jesus was in the line of David. 
to be born in the city of David, not, not city of David in Jerusalem, the, the actual birthplace of David in Bethlehem, where David, David the king was born. Do you remember the, the story of how David was anointed king? Uh, was it uh, Samuel, I believe, who was sent by the Lord? And uh, he went out and he, he talked to Jesse, who was David's father. I'm here to anoint the next king. Line up your sons. So he lined all of them up, but he didn't even consider the youngest one who was a shepherd out in the field. And, and all of these were passed over. Not the firstborn. Not him. Not him, even though he's impressive. Not him. Not, where, is this all your sons? Well, we, there's David. The shepherd boy out in the field, go get him, right? David, anointed king. Isn't it just like God to register the known world to move a poor carpenter and his pregnant wife 90 miles to give birth to the Savior of the world in the foretold location that was prophesied hundreds of years before? Only God can do this kind of thing to stir the most powerful man on earth at just the right time to decree this and register all of these people, cause total chaos. I mean, it was a, a very uprooting experience. All of these people had to travel to the, the birthplace where the records were kept so they can be logged and registered. And so Joseph and Mary went. Now, what we have to do is jump over to Matthew a little bit because we have to fill in the gaps. Now, we remember that Mary has this news and she went and told Elizabeth and there was rejoicing and she stayed there for three months, but then she journeyed home. And what happened when she got home is significant. The question in our mind is, well, what is Joseph going to say? When Mary says, um, honey, why don't you sit down? <laughs> You should probably sit down. And he's like, um, what's going on here? And she's like, here's, here's the thing. Um, I am pregnant by the Holy Spirit with the Messiah. What would you say? That's too much to swallow. His conclusion was that though she was a, uh, an upstanding young woman, you know, teenager, uh, she had clearly done something horrific and sinful and wrong. And so this is, her, this is his response. Her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Uh, they were betrothed, which we required the divorce, but he could have publicly shamed her, and some even suggest he could have uh, requested that she be killed, stoned, for this offense. And he decided the path of respect and care for her, but it was done. That's it. It did not go well. Now, just imagine if you're Mary at this, okay? You know, can we get another angel visit, like right about the time he sits down and I'm about to do It would be great if that could happen and line up. But the visit from the angel came shortly thereafter. The period of time where Joseph and Mary had this rift and uh, he was really struggling. Now he went to sleep and had a dream and we don't know which angel. I would assume Gabriel came in his dream and told him the message of the Lord. Listen, 
This is true. Mary is pregnant. By the Holy Spirit, she will give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke up and obeyed. He obeyed. He took Mary as his wife, and he knew her not until she had given birth to Jesus. So that's the part of the story that Luke doesn't include that Matthew does. And I think it's significant for us to see that as they journey down together. There isn't this unspoken, like, okay, uh, you know, I don't really know what's going on with my wife, but we got to go. We're not going to talk about it. You know, it's, they're together and they're at peace. They're one as they make this journey. A difficult and challenging journey, probably a five-day journey down to Bethlehem. Now, let's cover the next few verses here. A shepherd's cave and a humble king. Verse 6, while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now, Luke, who is in fact a physician, just gives us the concise version of this. Just two verses of one of the most amazing nights and, and challenging nights that has ever taken place. I would love to have more, and someday I'm sure we will. But as he interviewed Mary and as he interviewed these eyewitnesses, uh, this is what he chose to give. Under the leading of the Spirit, he just gives us a concise look. This may be the doctor footnotes, okay? This is Cliff Notes version. Gave birth, okay? That's what everybody does. They give birth. If it's me, I'm like, what? Uh, no hospital? No room? Are you kidding me? This would have been a major crisis in our home. Those shepherds would have arrived to see a horrible thing. I'd have been passed out in the back of the cave. You'd have been on your own, babe. <laughs> Just imagine this. Four to five days of traveling, you show up. I mean, your wife is going to have this baby. It is going to happen. Now, I don't think they had the advances in technology to have exact predictions like we know. I mean, certainly we've got all of the things that give us a little more of a window into the womb. But there would have been that sense. It's time to be somewhere. This traveling on the road, not a good idea. And so they start knocking on doors. Now, Bethlehem was not a large place. In fact, when we were there, it's not, it's not large even today. It's a small city. And uh, there was a, a massive amount of people who were coming back to Bethlehem required by this decree to be registered. But here's the thing. Joseph would have had relatives. And Jewish hospitality would have assumed that a pregnant woman would have been blessed with a, a room. I mean, couldn't someone give up their room for the night? For the pregnant lady that just got off the donkey for five days on the road? Hmm. That is the unspoken reality that points us to something a little more dark that's taking place here. This is not just, oh, the hotel's full, honey. <laughs> I guess we're sleeping in the car. No, this is purposeful, I believe. This is a scandalous rejection 
of Joseph and Mary. Joseph had an angel speak to him in a dream. So did Mary. None of these other people have. And they're not buying it. What do you mean? You're betrothed? Pregnant? She's your wife? Pregnant? How does this work? And so I think there is some big-time rejection. The scandal follows them. Those relatives who should have been opening up their homes, creating space for a woman who is great with child, they all close their doors. There's no room here. Not for you. No room. So they end up in a shepherd's cave with a feed trough for a bed for baby Jesus. Now, we sometimes think of a barn, uh, but when you're in uh, Bethlehem and, and you see this area, uh, it's far more likely that this was some kind of a shepherd's cave. And so when we visited Bethlehem, we got to go in one of these. No one knows which cave it was. They're, they're all over the place. They're everywhere. And what happens is at night, the shepherds would come in, bring their flocks in, and they would wall off the cave and have a fire and they could sleep in peace and really easily defend their flock, but also stay warm and be there with their flock. So here's a view. I hope you can see this. We got our entire group in this one shepherd's cave. It was huge. And uh, note how black the ceiling is here. This is from uh, the soot of all of the fires that have burned thousands of years of shepherd's fires in this cave, in Bethlehem, burning at night. The smoke would rise and then work its way out. And so they would be sitting on the ground and their flocks would be laying down. And uh, they even had a manger in this one, it believe, I believe, that uh, they would put the feed in for their, for their flocks. A manger, a feed trough, nice and clean. Not really, no. This is probably the most contaminated hospital room you could ever imagine. There would have been, think about how many sheep and goats and livestock had been standing around in the cave, all over the ground. This is not a clean place to give birth. Sometimes when we sing silent night, holy night, all is calm, all is bright. Um, I, I get what we're saying. And yes, after everything took place, it might have been like that, but not during pregnancy. There's no painkillers. There's no doctors. There's Joseph and sheep and his wife. They're alone. They've been rejected. They've been on the road. And by the way, you don't want to mess this up, right? It's Jesus Savior of the world. And so there's a whole lot going on. Now, God's grace would have been lavish in ministering to them. But let's not whitewash this, this night as if it was some kind of just radiant, just peaceful. Oh, it's so wonderful. No, it was a mess. It was a mess. Hmm. Was this an oversight? Why this way? I mean, if the Lord could arrange that the most powerful man on earth would, would form a decree to register everybody so that he could move Joseph and Mary from Nazareth to Bethlehem, couldn't he arrange a really nice hotel room for him too? 
This is not an oversight. This is exactly the plan. This is a statement of God. This is exactly the way that God had ordained. All of this, not an accident. Listen to these verses. For you know, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 8, 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Our servant king. The son of man, Jesus says, came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, from his very first moments on earth, displayed a servant, humble, lowly life. This is the whole pointer of the incarnation, the coming down, the Most High God, to be with his people. Christ Jesus made himself nothing. Taking, on, uh, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the, the purpose of the incarnation, the humbling of the second member of the Godhead, taking upon flesh his stooping down in that alone was, was mind-blowing, but that he would not only take upon human flesh and be born in a, in a, a shepherd's cave, surrounded by sheep, laying in a feed trough, but then grow with the purpose of taking uh, his place on the ordained cross to bear our sin, to die for those that he had created, and to buy them back from their sins with his blood. Behold your servant king, the love of God outpoured. Now, angelic announcement, verse 8, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. I, I like the old version. They were sore afraid. Don't you hear that when you read it? They were sore afraid. The angel of the Lord said to them, as he always has to say, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. How is it that we go from a shepherd's cave and the birth of Jesus Christ to an angelic announcement that has shepherds in view? This, again, leaves you scratching your head. This is not the kind of birth announcement that the world would have expected at the arrival of the Messiah. Someone should tell Caesar. Someone should 
wake Rome. Someone should ring the bells in Jerusalem. This is the announcement that you would expect. The Messiah has been born. Instead, the Lord sends angels to a bunch of young, poor, dirty, stinky, low social status shepherds. They are unskilled, uneducated, and unreliable. Many times, if you were a shepherd, it meant you were bad at everything else. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a highly esteemed job in the day. Shepherds carried a bad reputation. They were looked down upon. They weren't trusted. They had a, a notorious reputation for being uh, deceitful and uh, thieves. They were, in many cases, perpetually ceremonially unclean. They could not participate in uh, the work of religious festivities and activities because of their job. And so, therefore, they were outcasts, unappreciated and ignored. Hmm. And that's the people that God chose to bring to worship the king. The unlikely invitation. Now, I couldn't help but rewind the tape a bit and go back to the Old Testament and ask the question, well, we've seen shepherds before, haven't we? Jesus Himself calls Himself the Good Shepherd. Consider this. All of these men were shepherds. Abel, righteous Abel, was killed by his brother. Abraham Himself, father of the nations. He was a shepherd. Jacob, Moses, the deliverer of Israel. King David, as I told the story earlier. The, the no account afterthought of a shepherd. And the prophet Amos, I just read through that book recently. What an amazing man, used by God. He's like, listen man, I'm just a shepherd. And the Lord called me to speak these words to you. Yeah, so here they are. These are normal men used by God in extraordinary ways. God has a pattern of going to shepherds, the unappreciated, overlooked outcasts, and showing them His glory. It's a statement not of our worth or value, but of God's great love. He has a heart for those in the margins. He has a heart for those who are hurting, for those who don't measure up, for those failures, the overlooked. He has a heart. Which is good, because if we account rightly for our sins, we're all in that category, friends. We're all in that category. The rebels, the unrighteous, the broken, the downtrodden, the perpetrators. It's just like God to come and say, I choose you, I love you, I save you. Wow. The army of heaven appears to these lowly shepherds. Now, <laughs> if you're out on one of these hillsides with your flock and you're just kicking back at night, uh, there's no threats, right? You're keeping an eye out for anything that would endanger your flock. And then all of a sudden, the sky lights up 
the words fear not are going to really land pretty solid here because you're afraid. The, the army of heaven shows up and they see just light and glory. And these angels have a proclamation. Don't forget this. This just has to be said. The angels are having an incredible experience on this night. Jesus himself, the second member of the Godhead, we know is in fact the one that God the Father created all things through. Through him, all things were made, seen or unseen. That includes the angels. Jesus himself created the angels and commands them. He is the, the, the captain, the chief. He is uh, General Jesus, right? He is the one who gives commands to these angels. And now, their creator and commander is wearing a diaper. That's a weird experience. And they see glory. They, their joy, these angels are overjoyed at this. And as they share this news with the shepherds, they're, they're telling them, listen, you're going to find the Messiah, Jesus himself. He's wrapped in swallowing cloths and, and laying in a manger, a feed trough. Amazing. What it would be like to experience this as an angel. As you have witnessed the power of this one day after day after day after day in his presence, and now you see him as a baby. They say this, for unto you, I got stuck on those two words, for unto you, don't miss that, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ's Lord. Unto you, shepherds. This is the gift of the Father. Think Think gift here. Unto you is born a Savior, Christ the Lord. We bring you good news of great joy for all people. It's a good thing the, the word all is in front of people or none of us here would be calling this good news. If this was good news of great joy for just the Jews then where would we be on this celebration? We'd be excited about their Savior being born, but is He my Savior? It's good news because He's, he's a gift to the world. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. All nations, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, through you all nations on earth will be blessed through Jesus Christ. The outcasts are invited to worship. As far as we see, they're the only ones brought on the night of Jesus' birth. I mean, think of that. Under the radar of Bethlehem, all of the big uppity-ups, the, the power brokers who would have ar arrived in the city of David were not invited. And the lowly shepherds from the hillside made their way in and they were awestruck at what they found. Angelic praise. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace among those with whom He is pleased. Peace. Peace. He is our peace. The only way that we can have peace with God is through Jesus Christ. The one who accomplishes the necessary work to bring peace. If you don't have peace, through Jesus Christ, you face wrath 
forever. And their praise is, peace is now available. It's, 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 it's given freely. Now, around the manger, let's consider these last few verses here. Verse 15, around the manger. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby laying in the manger, uh, lying in the manger. When they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had seen, uh, they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Uh, they found it just as it was proclaimed. They took the invitation. The invitation was given, and they said, Yes, we will go, and we will go with haste. They didn't say, Well, you know what, guys? I'm a little tired. Let's go in the morning. Or, we, we can't leave the flock. What should we do? How, what, what, what if something happens when they're, no, this is more important. Let's go. Right now, with haste. Don't forget, 400 years of silence has been shattered. Things are happening now. Angels are appearing to people. There's, there's, there's movement. And this announcement is no small announcement. If, in fact, this is true, changes everything they go and they see this and then they they just imagine coming in you're mary and joseph you're traumatized if i'm joseph i'm just like oh man i need an easy chair that's just joseph imagine me and mary all you ladies are like yeah whatever mary's the one who's tired and here comes these shepherds they come in and their eyes wide open there it is the manger and they come over and they look. Can you imagine what that would have been like? Your eyes looking down at God Himself, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Jesus Christ. And then they tell Mary and Joseph this was uh, another layer of prophetic fulfillment, right? First, Elizabeth, or first, first it was Zechariah in the temple. And then it was Mary, right? The angel went to Mary. And then uh, uh, John the Baptist leaped for joy. And then Joseph's dream. And now the shepherds. All of these are confirming, confirming, confirming. Hmm. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Here's, here's what I hear in this. I hear Luke sitting with Mary, interviewing her. And I, the, I just hear Mary's words here. Don't you hear this? I, I just treasured these moments. I, I just, well, I'll never forget this. Everything was happening exactly as the Lord had lined up. And I'm still saying, who am I? A young teenage woman to be mother of the Messiah. The shepherds rejoice and then they return. What an amazing thing they have been invited to behold. Their joy in Jesus is clear. And it rings out on a very holy night. 
no one else rejoicing, everyone else sleeping. The invitation. Come and see your king. Our response this morning. There are some who slept in this morning. Some who feel the cold of the fall, frost on the windows, and they say, ah, <laughs> I don't want to go. But friends, you're here. You're here to behold your king. Praise God for his gift. This is, in fact, good news. It is good news of great joy for all people. All people. I mean, just look around. Look at us. None of us are the same. We all have different stories. Some of us come from really challenging pasts and backgrounds. Some of us have grown up in the church. We're, we're different people. And we're one in Christ. We're given this gift. Unto you, good shepherd, the Savior is born. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. God of glory, Lord of light. Hearts unfold like flowers before thee. I just I couldn't stop singing that all week. So I'm like, Jesse, let's do this. This is the sermon. And let me give you a glimpse of the final verse because we're going to sing it here in just a minute. Just look at this text and, and, and listen to the poetry. Mortals, that's us, sinners, join the happy chorus which the morning stars began. Do you hear the angels sing? Do you hear their proclamation? Glory to God in the highest. Father, love is reigning o'er us. For God so loved the world. This is why all of this is happening. Love of the Father to send His Son. Brother love binds man to man. We know that today. We share this love among ourselves, which is given us in Christ Jesus. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife. Joyful music leads us sunward for all those who were blinded by the glory of the sun that broke over the mountain this morning. It points us to Him in the triumph song of life. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we give glory and praise to You for this incredible gift. A gift that was given not because we deserved it, Quite the opposite, Lord. We deserve your wrath. We deserve your anger, your fury. We deserve the fires of hell for our rebellion and sin. But in your great love, you sent your son Jesus to be born a servant king, humble and lowly, poor, without a place to lay his head. Jesus, thank you for your humble walk on this earth for your obedience to the father for your willingness to, to to lower yourself to take upon flesh even to take the cross that we deserve that we might be forgiven and free we give praise to you jesus for that may we join the song O father god may the the joy of that night never cease on our lips. May, may it just echo out and, and we join, Lord, with the angels that have sung. I pray that our song now would be pleasing to you and from the heart, O oh God, 
We glorify you in Jesus' name. Amen.